0: Man, that makes you feel good. Oh, that's good stuff right there. Man, that that is that is good. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Uh, not only for your presence, but for your participation and just your smiling faces. And thanks so much. It's been a rainy, rainy weekend. Kind of yucky out there. Uh, thanks for coming out and brightening my day, and uh, brightening the day of those that are that are around you. Man, we're just glad. Glad you're here. Thanks, Derek, uh, for, uh, for those songs, man, and for, uh, there you go, that's right, give him a hand, that's right. Man, we appreciate Derek, our praise team, the great job that they do, and uh, lifting us up, encouraging us, offering up praise to God, so it's great to, um, it's great to be able to uh, be here and in this moment. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you that God has promised to guide us to our Do our best life. And I shared with you a passage from Psalm chapter 32, and and if you haven't marked this, I would love for you to, because I think it is a good reminder of of the way in which we are supposed to relate to God, and again, the expectation that God has for us in our life. It says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, I will advise you, and I will watch over you. God's saying, look, I want you to experience your best life. And we hear that so many places in our world today. And we talk about so-and-so's living their best life. And I want to live my best life and go and buy this and do that. And you can live your best life. And God's saying, I want to give it to you. I want to give you your best life. And I'm going to advise you along the way. And I'm going to help you know which way to go. And and I'm going to remind you of the different barriers that are going to be coming in your way. And and guess what? I'm going to keep a watchful eye on you. You don't have to be afraid. You you don't have to be concerned because I am going to be there with you. I'm going to be leading you to your best life. And if scripture is to be believed, and and I believe that it is, well, God created us and he designed us. So doesn't it make sense that God would know where your best life is found? I mean, that just seems kind of like common sense, right? That he would know where our best life would be. And that's the whole premise of this series that we're kind of walking through this fall. The fact that, you know what, we've tried everything else. We've tried so many other things to discover our best life. Why not give God an opportunity? I mean, why not give God an opportunity to show us where our life can be? And maybe you're sitting out here this morning or you're watching online and you're saying, you know what, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 15, 20, 25. I've been a Christian for 40, 45 years. We need to understand something. I believe with God there is always another level to go. No matter where it is that you are in your spiritual life, no matter where you look at when it comes to where you are right now, never look at God and say, God, I am satisfied with where I'm at. I'm I'm satisfied. I just think this is good. And I don't see how I can get any further. I've been walking with you a long time. I've been following you a long time. And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, you ain't seen nothing. Wait till you see what I've got planned for you tomorrow, for next week, and for next year. God says, I know where your best life is. So open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's in your New Testament. It's about midway through. I like to tell people to remember go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now, I have no way to help you find Galatians. That's up to you. All right? So you find Galatians and then figure out where Ephesians is. Of course, it's all easy now. You pull out your phone, you know, you just hit a button and all of a sudden it all pops up. Whatever you need to do. Ephesians chapter 2. Unlike other letters that you find in your Bible written by the Apostle Paul that focus on errors or heresy, uh, this particular letter directs his readers to consider God's eternal purpose and grace for their life. Or in short, Paul attempts to describe what life with God could and should look like. So in chapter 2, he reminds the people that there was a time, for all intents and purposes, there was a time that they were dead. And here's what he tells them. You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. I love how Paul doesn't pull any punches. He said, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. There was a time when you were not living, that you, you thought you were. You thought you were enjoying life and you thought you were living life to the fullest, but truthfully, you were, well, you were dead. Because you were following your own individual cravings and desires. You see, he's saying that whatever the people wanted, they took. And whatever they thought, they did. They lived for themselves, for their own pleasure, for their own sacrifice, for their own consumption. And Paul says that way of living, that lifestyle of no constraint and no boundary. He says that lifestyle, it only ends up in a dead end. You thought you were living it up, but you were killing yourself. You were dead. You know, that got me thinking that life lived for oneself and oneself only is no life at all. Now, I know that goes totally against to what we're told on a daily basis because the world hasn't changed actually that much since Paul's day. The messages that are preached from the pulpits of entertainment and power are all the same. Just go do what you want to do. I mean, that, that's what our teenagers are being told these days. That's what I was told when I, when I was younger. It's, it's, it's what I'm being told now. It's, it's what so many of you, it's the message that you have continued to hear. You do what you want to do. You take whatever it is that you want to take. Decide what is best for you and then just do it, right? That's what life is. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't consider another's needs. It's your wants. And it's your rights, and it's your privileges, and these things take precedence over everything else. And, guys, how has that served us? I mean, if you think about it, our relationships are fractured. Addictions, overdoses, and suicides are are stealing the futures of entire generations. Our consumption is burying us in debt. We are anxious, we are isolated. We are paranoid, we're angry, we're depressed. As my grandmother used to say, the proof's in the pudding, guys. A life that is lived only for oneself is no life at all. Hey, but here's the good news. The good news is that God wants to rescue you from you. I mean, God, God looks and says, all right, look, you have no idea what your best life is. You have have no idea what life lived to the fullest actually is. And so I am going to rescue from yourself. So here's what Paul told the Ephesians. Look at verse 5. He says, because of God's great love, says he made them alive with Christ, even though they were dead in transgressions. He says, look, you were dead, but now God has made you alive because he loves you that much. And the way that Scripture describes this is is this idea of a new birth that's brought on by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when a person places their trust and places their faith, their, their belief in the resurrection of Jesus, a new life is conceived and a new creation is formed. And by the way, it's why for centuries individuals have acted out this resurrection moment by being immersed in water. God has given us a beautiful way to visually express the new life that is beginning. With faith in Jesus' resurrection, we go into the water anticipating our own resurrection. And there, what we do, we act out, we act out dying to self and then living for God. You see, what baptism pictures is what God accomplishes. Our old life is buried and a new dynamic life is raised. It's a life committed to living for the glory of God alone. It's a life that's driven by God's purpose and a life that's driven by God's plan. And it is the beginning of your best life. And I want you to know, if, if, you've, never about, if you've never thought about acting this out, if you've never thought about having your faith Come to fulfillment as you are baptized into Christ. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. And, and talk to you more about, about what, it, what that means and, and, and the importance of it. And, and the reason even that, again, people have been doing this for centuries. It's not just some kind of act that you go through just, just because, man, it feels good and it looks good. And, man, I can get great pictures and great grandma and grandpa. Man, this is what's taking place in, in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead, but now you've been made alive in Christ. Now look with me again, chapter 2. And listen to what Paul says is the purpose of this new life with Christ. And this is kind of where we're going to key in. Look at verse 10. Paul says, concerning this new life of ours, he, he says that we are God's creation. And some translations read, we are God's handiwork, or we are God's masterpiece. The word that Paul used was Poema, and it sounds a lot like our English word poem, right? And here's what Paul is saying about this new life that our best life is a creative work of God. We are God's poem, we are God's music, we are God's specially crafted work of art. And the thing is, each one of us is unique. And we have specific passions, and we have specific talents. And Paul says, look, we have been created for a very special purpose. He says that God created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. You see, our new life, our best life, is designed by God to accomplish his good plans. So that means that we are given a new beginning so that we can serve God by being a blessing to others. And you thought that your life was all about yourself. I mean, you thought it was all, let me just do it. Let me just go out there and, and let me just have fun and, and let me just uh, experience all that life has to offer and, and let me just get that best life. And God says, you know what? Your best life, your best life is an others focused life, it's not self focused. It's what Peter talked about in in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You see, God has breathed new life into our dead existence so that we can be sharers of his good grace. Instead of living only to serve my own needs... And instead of living only to serve my own interests, as a disciple of Jesus, I am to spend my time caring for the needs and the interests of others, continually engaging in the good works of God. You see, from God's perspective, this is the purpose of my best life it's not to consume, but it's to give away. It's not to demand, but it's to repay. It's not to sit back and be served. But it's to serve. You know, there's, there's a lot of different excuses that are out there when it comes to this idea of, of serving and living for others and sacrificing self for, for others' betterment. And, and I think a very common excuse would just be the excuse of inadequacy. Where, you know, it just, we just say, I, I, really don't, I don't know what I have to offer. I don't know what I have to offer to others. I would like to serve. I want to be a difference maker, but I just don't really think I have anything to, to share. I want you to listen to what Paul told another group of Christians who were struggling living out the purpose of their new created life. He says in First Corinthians 12, Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. Paul says, look, you're all unique, and there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service, but they're all given to each person. Nobody is left out. Everyone is included. His point is, is that every single person has something to offer to someone else. And look, that may be true, but it doesn't always feel like the reality. Because Satan would love to discourage us, and he loves for us just to sit on the sidelines and feel like we have nothing to bring to the table. And I think the excuse of inadequacy, well, I think it was very common in Scripture because you just look at when God called different people and it was like they just gave excuse after excuse. Remember the story of Moses when he was called to free the people from Egyptian slavery and he said, but God, I'm not a very good speaker. I don't talk very well. I'm inadequate. When God called Gideon to lead his people against the Midianites, Gideon said, who am I? I'm the least in my family. My tribe is the least in Israel. And we just see some of the same kind of responses today. God calls us to serve and we say, well, God, I want to serve. I'm just not unwilling to serve. I just don't really have anything to offer. Now, where does that come from? Where does that feeling of inadequacy come from? Could it be that we have been told over and over that we're dead and we haven't been told enough that we're alive? Could, could it be that we've been told that, that the sinfulness, where, where Paul says, look, you were dead in your transgressions, that we've heard that over and over, and no one has said, you know what? If you were in Christ, you were a new creation. You're not dead anymore, and you have been gifted by God. You know, I think a lot of us, I think we have those feelings of failure, and, and I just think it's, it's difficult then to, to take that next step. But I want you to think about the Christians that lived in Ephesus and the Christians that lived in Corinth that Paul wrote to. They came from such a pagan background. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Look, before you were Christians, many of you were adulterers. You were prostitutes. You were homosexual offenders. You were idolaters. You were thieves. You were drunk. You were liars. And, and, but he says, but you've been created anew by God. You've been created new by God to live your best life. But they could not shake the memory of their previous dead existence. And I'm sure that they had to feel that, you know what? I just just don't think I can, I just don't think I deserve to be used by God. And I don't know, maybe some words in that list describe you. Or maybe if Paul was writing to us today, he would have to get a a totally different list. And he would have to add on to it. He goes, I know exactly what you used to do. Right? I know exactly what your sin is. I know what it is that that you struggle with. I I know where you have difficulty. But that's who you were. That is not who you are. We say, God, I I don't know. I think it just might be too late for me. I don't know what I can offer. I don't think you should use me. If you have ever had that in your head, then can I beg you no longer to listen to Satan's lies? If you have committed adultery, God can still use you. He used King David. Maybe you've been guilty of deceiving and lying. Guess what? God can still use you. Just like he used Abraham and Isaac. Even if you have been involved in blatant sexual immorality, God can still use you, just like he used Rahab. Maybe you've got a volatile temper. Maybe you have a lack of self-control. God can use you just like he used James and John. Maybe you've been inconsistent in your Christian faith. I and mean, you started off committed and you started off on fire and everything was great, but you know, over time all of a sudden that fire began to go out, and you just you just don't have that walk with the Lord that you used to have. You understand it's not too late that God can still use you. He used John Mark. I don't know, maybe maybe you were divorced, maybe you were living with someone that you were not married to. Do you know God can still use you? He used the woman at the well. Even Paul, who, who writes to the Ephesians, and he writes to the Corinthians, before that, he, he, you understand that he was a murderer of Christians? And God still used him in a powerful way? So Paul writes and he says, look, that may, might be your past, but it is not who you are now. Even though you have done these things, even though this is who you used to be, God has given you a new beginning. And when you turn to God, when you place your faith in the resurrected Jesus, you're justified, you're sanctified, you're washed of your sins. Remember, that's what baptism was all about. That's the picture that you have to remind yourself. This is what God is doing. And so if you're here this morning, and you say, you know what? It's not that that used to be me. That is me. Then let me tell you, there is another life for you. There is another life for you. A new life, a better life, and it is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the message to the to the Christians in Ephesus, the message to the Christians in Corinth, and I think the message to us is not only can God still use you, but He wants to still use you. That's a great thing. And I think one of the biggest encouragements that we have in Scripture is the fact that we do not have to be spiritual to be spiritually gifted. The Christians that Paul wrote to, and they were immature, they had all kinds of problems. But they have been recreated by God, empowered by them to serve. And the very failure that maybe you think disqualifies you from service in the kingdom of God is the very thing that God can use for his glory to advance his kingdom. Guys, God uses recovering sinners. That's who God uses. He uses ordinary people. He uses the outcast, the overlooked, the unlovely. He uses people just like you. And praise God, he uses people... Just like me. And let me give you one more excuse. Maybe you've used the the excuse of indifference. And this is where an individual basically says, I just don't feel like serving somebody else. I don't feel like getting involved in somebody else's life. I, I, I don't feel like giving up my, my time, my, my money, whatever it might be. Now, look, we, we don't say that out loud. I mean, nobody goes up and says, I don't like to serve. You know? Now, Nobody says that. But it's one of those excuses that I think is probably more common than others. I mean, we just don't. We just don't like it. Because we would much rather others serve us. Right? Because that's what makes me happy. Man, I love it to go to a restaurant and people bring me stuff. You know? And, and, and how many of you, how many of you, you've been there, you've been at the restaurant, you're like, they're not getting a tip today. I mean, my, my tea glass is set here and it has been, I mean, empty. Right? And, and, and you take that tea glass and how many of you shake it? Oh, i huh? all <laughs> oh, preachers meddling. Yeah. Man, you just shake that glass right there. You keep moving it out a little closer to the end of the table. Right? You want everybody to know, I demand service. Why? Because that's what we want. That's what we like. It makes us feel good. It's like, well, that's why I went there. That's. You see, Satan would love for you. And Satan would love for me to just be a sponge. And to just sit in a room like this and soak everything in and hear all types of messages about the servant heart of Jesus and, and be reminded about how that Jesus did not come to be served but, but to serve and just take all that in, absorb it all. But if a sponge never releases what is, has soaked up in time, it becomes brittle and it rots. And Paul said, look, in 1 Corinthians, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He gives this picture and he says, look, I've got this very powerful picture of what serving should be like. Of what the body of Christ should be like. Verse 12 says the body is a unit. The human body, he says, is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts. And, and even though its parts are many, they all form one body. He says it's just the same way in Christ. That's how it is within the church. So Paul says that... For us, each of us at the church, we're all part of this body. And even though the body parts all look different, we function together as one. And then in verse 17, he says, If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smelling be? But our bodies, he says, have many parts. And God has put each part where he wants it to be. And he goes on to say, you are the body of Christ. He says, look, we're all part of the body. And it's not that one part of the body is more important than the other. You'll notice as you read through this passage that Paul doesn't make a distinction between the supernatural gifts and the natural talents that we have. I think the reason is because all are being used to glorify God. All are being used to bless others. It's not that one is more important than the other. We are all part of the same body. And even though we might have different roles and even though we might have different responsibilities within this body, there is no one who is more important than anybody else because we're all on the same mission together trying to move others closer into a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. But what happens when one part of the body even though it might be a small part says, well, I just don't feel like doing my part. (laughs) I think we all get impacted. I want you to to see something that was written by author Richard Foster. It really changed my thinking on servanthood. He said there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. He continues, when I choose to serve, I retain control about who I serve and when I serve. But when I choose to be a servant, I've given up all rights and all control. You get what he's talking about here? If you choose to serve, then it's on your schedule and it's according to your timetable. But when you choose to be a servant, it means that whatever pops up, you're available. Do you see the difference that happens here? One is a lifestyle and one is just checking off some type of responsibility on a to-do list. But God wants his people to be a blessing to others 24-7. Not just when we're at church or when it's convenient or when we can put it on our calendar. We have been created and we have been made by God to do good works. That is our purpose. That is why we exist. It's not to go to work. It's not to go to school. It's not to play ball. It's not to do any of the other things that bring us all types of enjoyment and value. We have been created to be involved in the lives of others and be a blessing to them for the glory of God. That's our purpose. And we've got to begin looking at this more and more as a lifestyle. Where it's a gift and it's a calling, but it's not a task. It's not a task. You know, I haven't been in ministry for over 25 years. I, I've, I've heard well-intentioned people say, you know, Chris, I would really like to serve my community. Or I really like to help out at church, but I, I just don't feel God's leading yeah, you know, I, I just I just don't feel that God has really led me to work in this particular area. And you know what? It sounds very spiritual and it sounds holy when you say, "I just don't feel led to do that." You know, I, I just I just don't feel led, and we just pass it off on God as if as if He hasn't motivated us yet. And I I really what I want to say is I would like to say, you know what? You feel led. You feel led in the seat of your pants. That's that's where you feel led. Now, I haven't had the guts to say that yet, right? I mean, I haven't had the guts to say it. But I'm dying to say that sometime, right? Guys, we need to be looking around in our neighborhood. We need to look for opportunities to try to serve in some way. Not caring about who gets the credit, but just saying, you know what? I'm just going to do it. My best life, your best life, is experienced by saying, if I see a need, I'm going to meet a need. If I see something that needs to be done, I'm going to do it. And friends, get this. There is plenty that needs to be done. In our community, we have hungry bellies that need feeding. We have clothes that need mending. We have students that need tutoring. We have in our community people who are in need of rescue. Rescue of anger and violence and addiction. Rescue from sexual immorality and prostitution. People are in need of someone... Someone who will show them kindness. Someone who will show them love. Someone who will show them compassion. People are in need of someone, anyone, to announce the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. People need to hear there is a best life available in Christ that is so much better than what's being offered out here in our society and world. And friends, here within our church, we have grass that needs mowing. We have ministries that need leading. Missions that need planning. We have guests that need welcoming. We have children that need teaching. We have seniors who need visiting. Well, we need volunteers to help with our New Beginnings House and our transformation project. We need deliverers, volunteers to deliver snack packs. We need volunteers to to welcome others to archery practice on Tuesdays. We need volunteers to assist with our Miss Beautiful pageant. You saw that table as you walked in this morning. In our community and in our church, There are plenty, or there's plenty of good that needs to be done. And the great news is, we have been created by God for this very moment. We've been created by God for this very purpose. We've been given a new beginning so that we can serve God by being a blessing to others. We have been created. We've been created by God to do good. Because our best life is an others-focused life. Church, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned. So let's start doing and let's start living our best life. Will you stand and give God praise?